Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have another new friend with me, Kelly Smith. And I tell you, I feel so lucky to be connected with these amazing global changers in the world. And this podcast has brought me together with so many of them. And Kelly is one of them. She is a renowned yoga and meditation teacher who has studied over 16 types of yoga on five different continents and has found her niche. And that is really yoga nidra and meditation and restorative yoga. And we talk about her journey into finding that after being a real dedicated kind of sweater in the vinyasa world and how it's shaped her career, shaped her essence and as a new mom, how it's helped her. So new moms out there, pay attention to this podcast because Kelly gives some great tips um, on how her yoga nidra practice has created a sense of calm in the chaos of being a new mom. I hope you enjoy my talk with Kelly today. Welcome, Kelly. So happy to have you on today. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So let's let's dive right in. I always love to hear people's unique journey into what they're doing and, you know, how you found yoga. What was it that drew you in? Yeah. So I, as with many, the story is not um, linear. So I always try to package it in such, you know, in the most concise way that I possibly can. But I first came to yoga when I was a teenager as a form of cross-training for my sports. So it's funny now that I really specialize in some of the less physical limbs of yoga because I used to be a Shavasana skipper. I was one of those where I was like, well, I'm not burning any calories. I'm not getting a good stretch in. So I'd roll out my mat and 
walk out the door. And I was doing yoga just to, you know, really stretch, prevent injury, things like that. And it wasn't until um, I was in high school and my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and I became her primary caregiver that she and I really started to explore some of the softer sides of yoga together because she wasn't able to do, you know, a hot, fiery power practice, which is what I was used to. So we started doing some more restorative yoga, guided meditations, things like that. I still really leaned on the power practice and the hot, fiery vinyasa practice all through high school and college. And then after I graduated, I did my first 200-hour teacher training. I did that in vinyasa. And I, you know, I taught what I knew, which was vinyasa. It was, you know, power, yoga, sculpture, things like that. And It wasn't until a few years later when I ended up leaving the Twin Cities for the first time and moving to a small town in Missouri with my husband for his um, schooling that I really explored some other aspects of teaching. So the people that I was teaching there, they didn't want a hot, fiery practice. They were there to be able to, you know, reduce their blood pressure or tie their shoes without you know, needing any assistance, things like that. And so I really started to explore what it was that my students needed, which was slow flow. It was restorative. It was working on some breath, on some meditation. And that's really what then inspired me to look at some of these softer sides of yoga and explore some of the non-physical or less physical limbs of yoga. Mm, Wonderful. That's great that you were responsive to to serving the people in front of you, which is I think a very important aspect of being a teacher is educating, but also being responsive, you know, so it's not like we come in with an idea and we are going to just stick with it, even if we like something different. But how did you become more passionate about yoga nidra and meditation in your own experience? Did you find that it did something for you as well as your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Well, I'll start with yoga nidra. And when I did a 300 hour teacher training, I was in Bali and I was practicing yoga nidra and it wasn't during the practice, but it was actually the next day where I had this experience that I can hardly even put into words. And it was, I I had learned about how yoga nidra really helps you to connect with your soul and with your true self, which is something that I have always found to be really intriguing. And it wasn't until I really felt it for myself in which I was laying in Shavasana the next day during just an asana practice. And I just remember having this experience in which it was almost like the veil was lifted and some of the hardest aspects of my life, I just, it just hit me and I realized that they were such an essential part of my life and leading me to where I was going. And again, it's something that, and I'm sure you and your listeners have all had that experience, can't even articulate like that magic or like when you feel like you're, it's almost like your soul is speaking to you in a way or bringing something to light or bringing you to some kind of like a realization. And I just remember it was so beautiful. It was moving. It brought me to tears and it was so profound. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it just felt like I had really like spoken to my soul. And that experience was not only so profound in the moment, but it has still stuck with me so much. And that really reaffirmed like there's a lot of power here. And not only is there power here, but there's so much value in giving people the tools that they need to be able to speak to their soul. And that's where I really started this journey and started transforming my business, Yoga For You, into helping people kind of speak to the soul. 
And that's something that I've always used both yoga nidra and meditation as tools to be able to connect with the true self and to dig deeper and to find a way so that I can live in a way that feels really good and authentic to me and who I really am. And then also be able to help my students explore that place as well and to become more connected to their true self and like their soul. So uh, for those of you who are less familiar, for those of you people that are listening, that are less familiar with yoga nidra. What do you think it is about that that allowed this to be unveiled? Can you yes. talk a little bit about what happens in yoga nidra that, again, allows that space to unfold? Yeah, I would love to. I could talk about yoga nidra all day long. And sometimes I do, <laughs> if I'm lucky, <laughs> if it's a good day. But yoga nidra itself, so it means yoga sleep. And I always say it's yoga sleep, not yoga nap. Because the idea is that we want to, in a way, put our physical bodies to sleep so that we can do some of this deeper work. So a yoga nidra practice is taking a journey through the different koshas or the different layers of your being. So starting with the first kosha, that's your physical body. We're moving through then the energetic body, the emotional body body, peeling back all the layers until we get to the true self or Atman, which is at the center of your being. I often describe the journey of yoga nidra to be like those Russian nesting dolls in which you have the original in the center, and then you have all the copies that are bigger and bigger. What we're trying to do in yoga nidra, and all it feels like when you're practicing it is it feels like a long guided meditation. So when someone comes to me for a yoga nidra class, we're getting really comfortable in Shavasana. We have pillows, we have blankets, we have eye pillows. It's so cozy. And then they just listen to my guidance, the sound of my voice. And what I'm trying to do is lead them to a place where they can peel back those layers or kind of remove those copies of the original, the nesting doll, and try to get to the actual original true self, Atman, soul, whatever you like to call it. And you plant the seed of intention or a sankalpa in the true self, where then you can plant the seed of intention and it can hopefully continue to grow into fruition well past your yoga nidra practice. So yoga nidra in and of itself is a practice designed to peel back the layers and to put a positive intention directly into the soul and to create a space where you come face to face with your true self and building that connection. So can you give an example of your Sankalpa? And I'm sure that it changes. It's not always the same, but what has been one that has really reverberated deeply? Oh, that's such a good question. So I love to, like when I'm teaching yoga nidra, each class I like to have a different theme and then I'll create a Sankalpa around that theme, whether it's joy or gratitude or self-love, really anything. But for me personally, I really, I like to work with Sankalpas that have to do with um, self-acceptance and self-love. And so for me, it's something, you know, like I am in awe of the person that I am today. Mm. And kind of creating this statement. And when you're creating a strong sankalpa, it's always in the present tense because you're saying it as if you have it. It's right here. You're living it. You're embodying it. It's always positive, right? So instead of, I no longer speak poorly to myself, it's, I speak to myself with kindness in everything that I do. So it always has that positive present tense spin. And so I love working with ones, you know, like I am in awe of the person that I am today or, you know, I celebrate the beauty of my soul. Those types mm. of things is what mm. I personally like to work with. But when I'm teaching my students, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, I actually work with them closely and do a private session first before we will actually do the practice, in which I help them craft a sankalpa that their soul needs to hear. 
And then if it's a group class, I try to pick something that we all can benefit from. So hearing, you know, that we are enough or cultivating self-love or joy, or even working with giving ourselves permission to rest and to, you know, find that space of tranquility and stillness. So I always like to mix it up for my students, but then me personally, I like to, you know, get in my feels and build myself up a little bit. I love that. And I'm just curious in your own opinion, why do you think self-acceptance and self-love is so challenging for so many people? I've, you know, personally witnessed that over the years, whether it's a client or in teacher trainings. What is your opinion about that? Well, I think that there's a few things going on. And I, I actually think about, I've thought about this particular thing quite a bit recently, Um, because I recently became a parent, a mother for the first time. And my little guy is one. And I often think about how confident he is and how curious he is and how happy he is. And I think a lot about what is happening from point A to point B in which we all start these, you know, confident, happy, laughing, curious, you know, not bothered by failure beautiful little beings. And then we kind of grow into these. And granted, I do think there's a gender component to right. Being a little girl versus a little boy in my experience different. And so I do think there's a gender component, but something is happening when we're young that is shifting our mindset from thinking that it's okay to fail or it's okay to try new things or, you know, to kind of do it your own way to do it this way, or this is the right way, or this type of a person is more desirable or better than this type of a person. And I don't know if I have a particular answer for that, something I contemplate a lot, but I do think that our society in general is one that loves to compare and also loves to rank and say, you know, right when we go into school, right, you get grades and then you're comparing yourself to other kids and how they're doing. And there's always someone that's doing better than you. There's always someone that's doing worse than you. And we're taught at a very young age to always look at how we compare to others or how we compare to a certain set of standards. And I think in a way, I understand why we do it that way and the value that that way brings. But I think it also is always setting us up to feel like we're never quite enough. And so what we have to learn to embrace is, yes, there will always be someone doing it better. Yes, there will always be someone that's doing it worse. And that doesn't really matter as long as we are connected to who we are and we are appreciative and we respect the person that we are. We celebrate who we are. That's the important part. And we aren't really taught that. We aren't taught how to do that. And we also aren't encouraged to do that. And so I don't know if I know exactly what it is, but I do know that at some point when we're young, we go from, you know, these very confident, funny, you know, unique beings to all of a sudden being anxious and feeling like we aren't good enough and struggling and comparing. And we have, you know, imposter syndrome. And I think there's many elements at play, but it it does kind of make me sad to think that you know, we all started one way and kind of, you know, ended up another to look at my son and to think, you know, at some point you're this confidence and this beauty that you have, it's going to start to get chipped away a little bit. 
Mm, yes. Well, I will say I have two children. First of all, congratulations on oh. being a relatively new mom. It's Thank such a you. wonderful role, and it's all the things, as we know. It is but truly son, yeah, everything. <laughs> it is everything, right? It is. And it brings up a lot of, you know, our own experiences and conditioning and values. And I think we grow, if we're ready for that task, we grow a lot as parents, as in, as individuals. But my son, who is now 16, I remember when he was in second or third grade, his teacher said, I, my biggest hope for Jonah is he stays exactly as he is. He always is. He was this natural leader, very confident, and he still is. So today, he's 16. And, you know, I do think the world is set up a little bit easier for male genders uh, or male identified because there's, they just get free passes on a lot of things that that the female females do not. It's so I have, because I also have a 19-year-old daughter. She's a firstborn. So there's and she is, she, but she's also found her way and found her voice. And, you know, that's what I will often tell her is get quiet and listen within. And I think that's, again, what Yoga Nidra does is it actually inspires that and sets up the environment for you to be quiet enough to listen inward as opposed to listening to, you know, all the different constructs that tell you you should be doing something else. You're not good enough, et cetera. And I think that's, if we can hold on to that, it only strengthens and emboldens us. Yeah, I love that. And that's, and I appreciate hearing your thoughts on it, especially as being a parent and having kids that are a little bit older than mine. But, you know, I do think there is a component too of our society kind of sets us up to be, you know, try to fit a round peg into a square hole in some regards, instead of teaching children and now adults the tools to just recognize that maybe they are the round peg. And so instead of trying to smash themselves into a square hole, they need to, you know, find another avenue and to recognize that there is a fit for them somewhere. And I think there's an element of self-protection in there as well. I think about this a lot. And, you know, when I, and when I reflect back on my own time and my own journey, I think a lot about how we don't necessarily want to connect with who we truly are to a degree because it can be really scary to live from that authentic space because you're showing people who you really genuinely are. Like to show someone your soul and to bear that and to be your most authentic self, you are potentially setting yourself up for someone to reject who you truly are versus if you're showing someone just a version of who you are or you're showing them you know, who you think they want you to be. If they reject that or they don't like that, it might sting, it might be hard, but it is not the same level of vulnerability as if you show someone your true self and then they reject that. And I do think there's an element of self-preservation of, you know, kind of not connecting with that space because we, and you know, what I've heard time and time again is that when we really do live from our true self space, that is where, you know, we find this deeper level of one, not caring about what other people think because we're connected to our truth, but also, you know, finding people where we can really deeply connect and be vulnerable with and create these really beautiful relationships. But I do think it's incredibly scary. And so we don't often take that journey or want to take that journey because it's, I mean, complete vulnerability to live from that space and to put yourself out there in that. Exactly. Well, speaking of relationships, how do you feel that Yoga Nidra and your path has helped 
or shifted your relationships? You ask very good questions. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You ask very good thought-provoking questions. I really value that about you. And I knew this was coming that these, you know, thought-provoking having, you know, listen to your show. I knew this was coming, but they are still very good and thought-provoking. And I think that, I think overall, it has impacted my relationships in two different ways. I think that when I started to really connect with my soul and live in an authentic way, the people that did not support that or that weren't in alignment with who I was truly as a person, they disappeared and they disappeared pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And that also can be scary for a lot of people because there was an element of being like, wow, like this, maybe this person isn't necessarily a good person to be around for me. Not to say they aren't a good person, but they may not be what I need or may not be in alignment with who I really am. And so I do think there was an element of the people that weren't supportive of my journey or didn't align with who I really was, they went away. But the people that I have met since or the people that were supportive of that journey, I feel like the connections and the relationships that I have with people are just so much deeper and so much more fulfilling and beautiful and real in a way. Because I think when you allow yourself to live from your truest, most authentic space, your soul space, you're also giving permission to the people around you to live from that space as well and to show you that part of them. And there is no deeper, more authentic, fulfilling connection with someone than allowing them to see who you really, truly are without fear without trying to hide anything. And so I think it has allowed me to form more authentic and deeper and fulfilling connections with people and not even just people I'm friends with or my husband or my children or my family, but even, you know, the barista making my coffee, right? And to just genuinely look them in the eye and be like, thank you so much for making this or that latte art is beautiful. (laughs) Thank you for taking the time to do this. I think that when you live from that space, you also give people around you the permission to live from that space as well. And that helps to create more meaningful, authentic relationships. I totally agree. And I, I agree that, you know, that when we find kind of the spectrum, because it's not like a single dot or anything, but when we find that spectrum where we are not betraying who we are, really honoring our path and our heart and our soul, like you said, there is a magic to that because not I don't want to say no one lives there, but not a lot of people do because of all the things we're talking about. It's, it can be frightening to be seen. You know, I remember when I met my husband, one of our first conversations, he started tearing up talking about something in his past. And I was like, wow, this guy's really emotional. And it was because it was so odd to see a male so in touch with his inner landscape to feel his own strength in being vulnerable. And we were just with friends the other day. We've been married now 20 years and he was having a birthday and his mom is very sick. His dad died 10 years ago. He had a brother who died when they were both teenagers. So he was just talking about, you know, his mom is very ill and what it feels like to be going to be the only survivor in the family. And he just was crying in in front of our friends and stuff. And, you know, the 
the husband of the other part, the couple was like, wow, it's so, you could see how much he appreciated how my husband was just himself. He wasn't trying to cover up. He wasn't trying to masquerade. He wasn't trying to choke back tears. He was just, this is right now, this is really devastating for me. And I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it or make any different or do that to make you feel better, right? That's, and in doing that, it was just, I just witnessed it. It was so fascinating. Just what you were saying, like in that place of being who he is, which is, he's like an open soul, open vessel of love and emotions. He was giving an example of how, to our friend, how you can be. And it can be beautiful and wonderful and not scary. And it was almost like, kind of like a big exhale. It was, it was refreshing for this husband to see that. You know, at first, you could always see like when people start to get vulnerable, there is sometimes a tendency people get uncomfortable because what you're witnessing is what we all feel. We might not be feeling it at that moment, but it's human emotion. And it's the river of emotions that are within us that sometimes we're, we don't feel allowed to show. And so I, I can imagine when you're more in touch with your soul, you are going to, your relationships are going to be strengthened by that. And it doesn't have to be, like you said, your primary close relationships. It could be the person um, at the cafe. It could be a, a friend. And we are demonstrating how we want all to be living, which is that we can be strong and we can also have emotions be shown, you know, and we can be sympathetic and empathetic. We can be compassionate and kind. We can hold boundaries but also be soft, you know, and it's being, you know, walking through this world as a human, it behooves us to find that centered place. So I would love to hear a few examples of some real enlightened people that have, that you've worked with and how it has shifted their lives. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure you have plenty. And you're um, talking about like people that I've come into, like just really incredible beings that I've come into contact with and how they have impacted me. Well, I was that as well, or, but I was thinking of, um, in working with clients, Mm -hmm. someone coming in and having a very, a big shift like you did. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. witnessed it a lot, but do you have any that like, usually there's, we all have that experience when we enter, when we're doing personal work, So I'm sure there's probably a few examples that are very kind of top of the list of profound transformations. Yeah. So I think some of the biggest and one of my favorite things, not just because it feeds my ego, but it also like feeds my heart as well, is I love hearing these stories from people that practice with me on my podcast, listening to the guided meditations or the guided yoga nidra practices. And they send me a message or an email later being like, this is the experience that I had. And it always makes me so happy to know that I'm helping to provide the tools to people to take that journey. I think some of the most profound ones that I have heard have been people when they have either worked on some healing from the past. So I recently had one where someone said, and it was not an inner child meditation. It was one just for stillness and silence. But once they came to that space of stillness and silence, that sort of wounded child part of them came forward and they could, and she had basically hugged her younger self to embrace her and be like, I love you. I know you felt alone and unloved at this time. I love you. And I get chills even just 
you know, saying it, or if someone feels like they, you know, have an experience in which someone who has passed is reconnecting with them. I was teaching at a retreat and I was teaching and this wasn't a part of my class plan. And this phrase, this, I just was teaching and I just said, you know, I I feel compelled to share this. And I feel like you all need to hear that, you know, even in your darkest days, the universe or whoever is there for you and that their love is carried for you on the wind, which is not a way that I usually speak. And one of my students just burst into tears. And then after practice told me that her grandfather had died a week before the retreat. And the last thing he said was, every time you feel the wind blowing, no, that's me with you because my love is carried for you on the wind. Mm. And I get chills just saying it. And there's just so many times that, you know, when we do connect with that like deepest part of us. I do also think that's the part of us that, you know, is connected to our childhood or is connected to ones that have passed or is even connected to like our future self. And there's so much like magic and mystery happening in that space that people always ask me, you know, when they have an experience like that, they always say, or they'll say, you know, is this normal or is it quote, like normal that I felt this after yoga nidra or during yoga nidra or during meditation. And I always tell people there is no normal or abnormal. I said there's common and not so common, but when you're working with like your individual soul, there is that is the only one that exists. And so your personal experience is just as unique and one of a kind as the soul that you're working with. And so your experience is your experience. And I think it's important to try to not label it as normal or not normal, but to just let these experiences happen and recognize that it's just part of the journey and also a part of getting to know your soul. And so if you feel like you're, you know, someone that you've lost is reconnecting with you, or you feel like you're connecting with your inner child, or if you just feel like you had a really wonderful, restful experience, let that just be the experience and let that be what it is and be beautiful and powerful in its own right. But there are definitely some experiences where you just think, whoa, that is like, just like indescribable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's important for everybody who's listening to know that no matter what, being still and quiet for whatever to come up is enough, right? And then if these other things happen, they were waiting to happen. They were ready and present to be unveiled, but it can be just as, I mean, healing to just, like you said, to be still because we are just in daily life. I mean, I'm thinking about as mom, you know, but this is anyone mothers or not. I mean, we just are like the wheels are turning, you know, all the time. And to just be at rest where you're not actually going to sleep, but you're just resting enough that all the stuff that has been held in this vessel can actually be interpreted, can be translated, can be felt and communicated. But I am curious how your yoga nidra has helped you as a new mom. Mm. Because that first year is a tough one. It's wonderful. It's amazing, but it's also exhausting. There's a lot, you know, a lot in there, as we know, between hormones and just sleep deprivation. How has this helped you? Yeah, I do. I Well, I was actually, I was talking to our nanny while I was grabbing some lunch upstairs just a little bit ago. And we were just kind of joking around. And I did mention, I said, you know, I don't think anything has quite aged me more than the first year of motherhood. And I mean, there is just, there's so much, I mean, 
I think one of the, this wasn't your question, but I will get to your question. But I feel like one of the biggest changes that I've experienced since becoming a mother is my ability to hold two completely conflicting emotions or feelings within the same body. And like even the ability of, of just nearly being moved to tears because I have another day on this earth and, you know, life of watching my son get older, but then also a little bit mourning, but he's getting so big and he's getting so old or, you know, loving and being so grateful for the fact that, you know, I just really wanted to be a mother, but then also struggling with the fact that means my business has a little bit less time or whatever it is, right? I feel like once you become a parent, your capacity to be able to hold kind of these conflicting or bittersweet emotions within your body becomes so much greater. And so with my yoga Ganesha practice in particular over this last year, some of the biggest benefits for me, one has been the ability to rest. I often, you, I think you hit the nail on the head. I describe that, you know, kind of chaos of being a parent and being a mother in the first year is you feel like you don't have time for anything, but yet you also don't do anything all day. And so being able to stop and rest and to turn inward, to reconnect with that, you know, true part of me has been so powerful and also essential to make sure that I'm still connecting with who I am and that I'm not just Kelly the mom now, but that I also am still connected to like Kelly and who I was before children, who I will be now I have children and for the rest of my life and to make sure that I stay connected with that space. We also know that yoga nidra is a deeply restful practice. They say that about you know, one hour, 45 to 60 minutes of yoga nidra is equivalent to three hours of like rest at night or sleep. And the reason that that happens is because you are like, you know, without going too deep in the, you know, anatomy weeds, although I know you are an anatomy lover as I am, what we're doing is we are going through the different stages of sleep in our body. We are putting our body to sleep when we, you know, hook ourselves up to the electroencephalograph and watch the brain waves. So it is really powerful and restful to practice yoga nidra, to be able to give your body that time to slow down and to heal. There's so much physical healing and changing that happens in your body well past just the birth process, not only the regulating the hormones, but if you are choosing to breastfeed, you know, your, your body is keeping two bodies alive. There's so many different elements in which your body is working in overdrive. And so be able to give myself the gift of slowing down and just letting my body like rest has been so important to me. And then I do also, because I feel very short on time as most people and especially parents do, I try to also just do kind of like 10 minutes of meditation every day. So to really shift my expectations of myself. And that has really helped me to do a daily check-in of like, how am I doing how am I really feeling? And I think that's helped me really process a lot of the change and the emotions and the struggles and also embrace and celebrate the beauty that comes with this new season of life. I love that. So how do you feel like your business, what, what are your goals in your business for the next number of years? Keeping in mind, like all of us did when your kids are young, that you, that is always in the forefront. But do you have some, has your business uh, model shifted at all, or do you still have in mind the things that you wanted to do before you became a mom? Yeah, it's really shifted a lot and it's shifted for a few years. And so I found out I was pregnant in March of 2020. So I found out I was pregnant and then about four days later, lockdown started. And so I kind of got the lovely combo of trying to completely not only navigate my business, 
you know, during the pandemic, which we all did and we still are, but then also trying to figure out how will I, you know, still be able to, my family relies a lot on me. My husband is now a medical resident, but has been in school for many years. We've been single income for a very long time. So navigating, how can I still support my family and run my business, but also caring for my child and having a partner that has an extremely demanding career as well. And I kind of got the double whammy of that all at once. And I think the biggest change, but also the biggest takeaway, and this is something, you know, I tell other yoga teachers to do and they ask me for advice, which kind of work smarter, not harder. But what I mean by that is really being able to look at my business objectively and to try to make smarter decisions about where I'm spending my time and where I'm putting my effort into different elements of my business. So a lot of what I did before inquired a lot of travel. So I was going all over doing continued ed trainings, primarily yoga, nidra, restorative yoga, and meditation. So I was you know, going all over North America and Europe and, you know, other places offering these pop-up trainings. It's not really an option right now with both COVID and having a little baby. And so figuring out how can I still, you know, be training people in this and doing it more virtually or doing, you know, fewer, but letting a few more people in to those trainings and finding a way to still create that wonderful experience for my students, but make it work with my life. Same with, you know, meditation retreats that I run, doing fewer, but really trying to make them a valuable experience, maybe letting a few more people in. Also, you know, increasing a little bit of the frequency of my podcast so people can meditate with me more or, you know, adding a few freeform episodes so that I can teach people in a different way that I can do from, you know, my lovely podcasting closet at home. And so it's really made me figure out a way to work a little bit smarter. What can I let go of? What can I delegate? What can I say no to? And then where do I want to focus my energy? And then making sure that I'm doing that so that I can on the days where, you know, I have childcare, which is some days during the week, um, I can, you know, really focus full steam ahead, work on my business because that brings me so much joy. But then on the days that I don't, then I can be, try my best to be fully present with my son and be mom. Cause I found, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, that at first it was so hard. It was like, I, I was with him and I was always thinking about business and then I'd be working on my business, but I'd just be like, Oh, but what is he doing? Or, you know, what's going on upstairs. And, and so, you know, finding what works personally for me has been essential. And then being able to work smarter instead of just constantly doing that, like entrepreneurial grind of saying yes to everything and trying to do all the things all the time. Yes. Amen to all that. I mean, I think being a entrepreneur and a mom is like a double award, (laughs) but I think it's important, like you said, to be as present as you can in the task in front of you and, and to do that in buckets that you can handle and not be overwhelmed or feel guilty. I think, you know, moms, moms have mom guilt in a way that men don't have, or dads don't have. And in a heteronormative relationship. So it is fascinating to think about that. And I, you know, I'm at a point where my kids are older and it's, it does get a lot easier to manage the business and spend a lot more time on that. But I think no matter where you are, and if you don't have kids either, this, it's a really good lesson to, to do work, work smarter, really work smarter and delegate, you know, every bit of money that you can spend on someone doing something that you're not that good at or that takes you a lot of time is actually going to money in the bank because it will come back and help you so much. 
Well, this was so lovely to talk to you. How can um, people find out about your offerings, these wonderful meditation and yoga nidra um, on your podcast, but also the trainings that you offer? Sure. So my website is always a great place to start. It's yogaforyouonline.com. You can also find me on Instagram. The handle is at yoga for you online. And then you can practice with me. My podcast is called Mindful in Minutes, and they're all short guided meditations, 20 minutes or less, and some yoga nidra practices as well. And then once a month, I release a freeform episode where I just speak organically about anything. It could be about the anatomy of sleep. It could be about working through imposter syndrome or, you know, lessons that I learned from my 20s, whatever it is. And so those are all good places to find me and to hang out with me. Sounds wonderful. Well, I can't wait to hang out with you some more, Kelly. It was such a delight to get to know you. And thank you so much for your time and your very busy schedule to come on here and, and chat with me. Oh, I appreciate you having me on. It's been such a lovely time. I agree. And for all of you listening, as always, I'm pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.